This is Mandy Thompson, and you're listening to Frequency. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Frequency Podcast. This is episode four, and I'm joined by Joe Brookhouse from Portland, Oregon, once again. How are you, Joe? Good, and I just keep showing up. I think that at some point you're going to say, why does Joe keep showing up? And I'll stop, (laughs) and I'll I'll just stop showing up. But it's good to be here. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, and it's, uh, it's good to be on episode four. I feel like this is a regular thing now, like it's actually going to continue on. You never know when you start a new project how it's going to uh, move forward. You know, I've been pleasantly surprised at the, the response. I, I can say that there's a, there's a small congregation that's uh, following along with us, which is great, and we hope that we can just uh, continue to improve and make it better. And make sure that we actually hear from people. So if you want to let us know how we're doing, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I'd like to acknowledge that what we're doing with frequency is a little different because it is very broad. And so we're addressing some some mediums of art uh, that aren't necessarily mainstream, but we want to introduce you to some some different genres, some different mediums that you may not have considered. And perhaps you'll find, as we have, that there's a lot that transfers from one medium to another that's very universal. You'll especially hear that in today's interview. I'm learning as we're doing these things too, because sometimes the, you know, Joe will come up with somebody that he's he's heard of, and I've never heard of that, and I and Joe has to actually explain to me what's going on, and I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's cool. Let's do that. Yeah, it's interesting to see how these things develop because this interview that we did for this episode really intrigued me, and I I didn't think it would. So uh, kudos to Joe for for bringing it up. So I hope that if you've gotten this far, you're intrigued, and nothing about it has prevented you or been prohibitive in terms of you actually listening to the episode, including (laughs) us talking and saying the word, absolutely. Have we said that already? I don't, I don't know, but I'll know when we go back and edit this, whether <laughs> they said it. <laughs> there we go. We don't have professional editors. We are the editors. So, uh, yeah, we can do whatever we want. We also have a website, and actually I would say that is our launch point for everything because the name is as easy as we could make it. It's Frequency.fm, and we are an FM audio podcast at this point, so it makes a lot of sense. And if you have been there, we appreciate it, but if you haven't, why not? There's such cool stuff on there. Joe, what kind of stuff is on the website? Well, here's some of the recent things that we've shared. As we mentioned in our last episode, we do have a book review of the book Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. This is an apologetic written by a veteran homicide detective in which he uses his experience as a detective to investigate the claims of the Gospels. So uh, I... uh, I enjoyed that book, 
uh, I think you should go online and read my review, and we're also going to post a, an audio review for those of you who either can't read or are in the car and should not be reading <laughs> the review. Well, yeah, and that actually came out of a discussion where we were trying to take a look at reviews and editing them and realizing I'm doing this trying to do it while I'm driving and I can't do that, but it's the only time I have to. So I don't do it. And I'm like, wouldn't it be easier if we just heard the review? So of course I got Joe to do all the hard work of actually recording it with his radio voice. And I appreciate that Joe. Uh, But also a lot of people who listen to podcasts don't read blogs or a lot of people who read blogs don't listen to a podcast. So at least we get the same information in two different places. So hopefully if, if uh, you read the blog, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to listen to the audio, but that's okay. We're hoping that it'll, it'll stretch into another audience. All right. We also have reviews though. We have, um, and I like this concept that Joe came up with the review roundup. Uh, which is basically a, taking a whole bunch of different blogs and uh, writers of people who do reviews on a regular basis, and we go find the information for you, package it up so you don't have to find out in all these different sources whether it's worth buying an album. So, for example, Zion by Hillsong United and uh, Let It Be Known by Worship Central. It's bam, right there in front of you. There's four or five, six sometimes uh, different reviews. And then we kind of give our synopsis of where we're coming from with it. On to the interview. Now, our our guest for episode four is a gentleman named Phil Long. And he is, no offense, Phil, if you're listening right now, anything but a household name. And that's partly because of the medium in which he works. He is a spoken word artist, which is code for poet. So he mm-hmm. participates, competes in poetry slams, but for his day job, this is a Delta Airlines pilot. So he is flying mm. all over the world. In fact, the day I recorded the interview with him, his wife was driving him to the airport so he could uh, fly to Tokyo, Japan. Oh, wow. So he is all over the place. This guy is eloquent. Phil shares some very interesting perspectives on what it means to be a Christian operating in a secular environment. And it's very, very well worth listening to. Yeah. In fact, I I listened to the unedited version of the interview. It was well worth the listen, mostly because, I mean, that is what he does. He's a words guy and the topics were broad, but they all kind of gelled together. It was interesting to learn about spoken word and poetry. You you hear the word poetry and you think snobby. <laughs> um, you know, you you think like a book back in school. I I have actually used spoken word as part of messages and, and leading in and out for youth ministry. So it's a very effective medium. You'll see in the interview what he's talking about. All right. Without further ado, let's listen to our conversation with Phil Long. As we're getting started, just give us a um, the elevator speech about who Phil Long is. Okay. I'm an airline pilot. I was in the Air Force before that. I've got four kids. I'm a husband, my wife, Pam. Um, we've been married 30-some years. Wow. And, um, yeah, seems like five minutes. Anyway, so uh, my four kids are all grown and gone, but I have been sort of a closet poet for 30 years. And college I had a guitar and and I knew three chords and I had a capo and I so you started writing songs oh yeah I wrote lyrics actually my first poem first published poem 
published, quote unquote, was in grade school. I, I had entered a poetry competition in sixth grade, and and I wrote a poem about the ideal school, and they put it up on the wall with construction paper and everything in, in the grade school, and I was famous. So, And then there was probably a 20-year gap in my poetry writing. <laughs> <laughs> it all changed when uh, my daughter showed me a rap video that she thought was really cool, and it was some Marine drill sergeant answering a question, why would you go to war? Um, it was just beautiful. And we watched it several times, and she says, hey, Dad, why, why doesn't somebody write a rap answering the question, why would you be a Christian? And I'm like, ah, I've been writing lyrics for a long time. I could do this. I could write a rap. Yeah. And so I wrote this poem, and I called it Three Minute Creed. And um, I ended up doing it at a writer's conference in Southern California, and I did it, you know, kind of performed it for some friends. I found myself doing it at a church on Easter Sunday, and, and I thought, gosh, somebody else must be reciting their own poetry. This feels a little odd, but I'd never heard of anybody doing this. And so... Um, I started poking around on Google and trying to find out something about performing poems, and I ran across Poetry Slams. And this was, um, it was actually on October 22nd, 2008, and I remember because I had a trip uh, the next day, and the next day was my birthday. So I found a Poetry Slam in Seattle, and I'm down here near Portland, and I, I go to my wife and I say, hey, what I'm doing is called Poetry Slam or something like that. Um, and there's a slam tonight in Seattle. You want to go? And she looked at me and she said, no. <laughs> I said, well, can I go? It'd be like an early birthday present. I could just go to this slam and do my poem. And and I didn't even know what a slam was or yeah. how it was structured or anything. So she's like, yeah, do whatever you want to do. But I'm not driving to Seattle. So I got in my truck and I drove three hours to Seattle. And I showed up, to, signed up for the poetry slam. And they said, you got three poems, right? I said, well, no, actually, I just got one. But it's pretty long. And they go, no, you have to have three poems to be in the slam. And I was so sad. I was just like, oh, no. And I guess they noticed my demeanor. He says, well, you could get in the open mic. And so I said, okay, I'll do my poem in the open mic. And they were, I mean, it was a full-on Jesus Christian, this is what I believe in, why, and why, you know, why. And, uh, and the slam was just in the back of a bar. And it was a bunch of, and I didn't know it at the time, but some of the top slam poets in the known universe were there. Wow. and competing later that Probably night. Probably better you didn't know that. It's very good I didn't know yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, and I was I was totally clueless. I lead with my chin all the time. So uh, I went in. They were very kind, very gracious. I found this environment of openness and acceptance. I found out that a poetry slam is a three-round competition, quote-unquote, that's just there. It's a game that makes in- listening to poetry interesting because it makes the poets want to win, and so they try harder to affect the audience yeah. in the moment. And so I did my poem. Uh, they, they treated me really nice and were respectful and, and appreciative and clapped and snapped. And, um, and then I listened to the, the feature that night who happened to uh, do a, a very interesting set, which I could only describe probably as gay pornography, which sort of surprised me. You know, yeah. it caught me off guard, and I, I didn't really want to stay for that. But they had been very gracious to me, and I, I owed them that. Yeah. So. Um, I sat and listened, and, and, I, and I just was thinking about a lot of different things. And then they had the slam, and it was a life-changing experience. There were some of the best poets around, and they competed, and I couldn't believe what was happening, what was happening to me. Um, the artistry of their words, the delivery, the performance, the, it was just astounding. And so on the way home that night, I thought, wow. You know, I can say whatever I want at a poetry slam. It's an open mic. Anything goes. Yeah. So I can get up there, and, and if all I want to talk about is Jesus, I can take three minutes. And if I respect the audience and do the hard work of writing something interesting and engaging and 
fun to listen to. Maybe they'll let me go to the second round and I can do another one. So for the sake of clarification, this yeah. is secular poetry slam. This oh, is absolutely. Not a, a, a Christian themed, well, especially no. if the, the, the main guy was doing a, um, <laughs> yeah. the theme that he was doing. Right. So this is you going and doing this in the secular. Well, yeah, these are held in bars and coffee shops and, you know, different you know, back rooms and nightclubs and stuff, jazz bars and stuff. But uh, yeah, so it's a it's a secular mainstream uh, performance poetry venue, and they have national competitions for teams, for individuals, for women, uh, and it's a very big, growing, burgeoning field. Um, and poetry itself is, of course, exploding. Yeah, so I got into this. Uh, I decided to dedicate myself to it because I saw an opportunity to. Um, share the things I believe in and I care about, which is what poets do, yeah. you know, and to do it artistically, which I, I really was mesmerized by that. I went on the trip the next day, and I had a layover in New York, so I immediately uh, got on the Internet, and I found a poetry slam. And I talked to the captain I was flying with. I said, hey, let's go uh, down to Lower East Side, Manhattan, and go to the New Eurekan Poetry Cafe. And we stood in line for a couple hours and got in, and it was a great poetry slam. The, the young guys, they were like 20 years old or so, they were – they were doing things that I just, I mean, I would have been less surprised if they just sprouted wings and flown out of the bar. Really? Oh, yeah. It was, the things they did, and I, and I saw some of those guys later at the national competitions, but I couldn't believe, I actually had this thought. I was sitting there thinking, how did I get to be 50 years old and not even know that you could do this with words, with just words? Yeah. I, I was astonished, and I really wanted to try it. And so I just dedicated myself to it. I, I, they had an open slot come up for the National Poetry Slam that year for the individual World Poetry Slam is what it was. Somebody canceled or whatever, and I happened to be online when it popped up. And so I put my credit card in, and I said, I got a slot, and I was an idiot. I didn't have any idea what was going on. And I went there, and I, I came off as a total fool. But everybody was just really gracious. It was four days of constant poetry competitions and performances, and it was like baptism by fire. I mean, I yeah. learned what this was about. I met the people. I heard the best poetry, spoken word art that you could possibly hear. I was just in the middle of this thing. We stayed up almost all night playing poetry tag in a hotel room with pizza and just taking turns in a, in a group of 50, 60 people just doing this stuff. What did that do for you just as an artist compared to what you were writing for 50 years or however many years? It wet my appetite. I mean, it, it just... It just made me want to light my hair on fire and jump off a cliff. Yeah. And these guys were, these guys and gals were so stunning that um, I, I just, it, 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 it just made me hungry to try to learn to do this. I didn't think I could ever be as good as them. And I still, you know, I can hang with some of them, but the, the really good ones, I'm like a rank amateur. That's, that's rare air up there that those guys are breathing, and it's really good. And yet it, it showed me that what I was doing with meter and rhyme and it was kind of cheesy, and I just knew this. I wanted to do this, but I had I realized I had no idea. So it in, injected this sense of absolute humility into this yeah. same place where I had this burning desire to do this. And I think that's probably where I started finding some of my better work. Um, when you're going to the National Poetry Slam, and you're not looking specifically for a Christian-branded competition, you are just looking mm -hmm. for the best artists expressing themselves in the greatest way possible. Mm -hmm. I find we have a tendency to surround ourselves or insulate ourselves from the outside world, and I don't think that challenges us. Yeah, several things come to mind. I absolutely do have a strong opinion on this. And, it, and it's not judging somebody else. It's judging myself. I know that if I surround myself with people who think like I do and agree with what I 
uh, believe and use only the language of a, a subculture, there is no way I can write effectively for some other culture. Yeah. I mean, how could I, I can't even imagine that anybody would believe that they could. Now, you, you make the point that we do believe that, and it's kind of odd, but I think if a Christian artist, and I don't consider myself a Christian artist, I consider myself a spoken word artist who happens to be a Christian yeah. and who happens additionally to write about my faith. There are a lot of Christian spoken word artists who are faithful to their beliefs, who write about everything else. Yeah. And so I don't like to think of myself as a Christian artist because I'm just a spoken word artist and not really that good of one compared to a lot of people that I mix with. But that's why, that's how I get better. That's how I understand the language of the culture that I'm in. I'm an old guy. I've also immersed myself in a culture or at least uh, participated enough in a culture to recognize and, and to make friends in that culture and to listen. That's the other thing about a poetry slam. You just don't go to perform. You sit there and you listen to all the other poets, what they care about, what they hate, what they love, what they find beautiful, what they find provocative, uh, and you hear their language. You get the audience reactions. I have poets that want to participate in an organization that I'm helping to start. But poets hear about this, spoken word artists who happen to be Christian, and they say, I want to be a part of this, and would you like to look at some of my poetry and see how I'm doing here? And I, I say, well, I'm not going to uh, judge your poetry. What you really need to do is go to a poetry slam yeah. and sign up for the open mic and see how the audience reacts or enter the competition and see if you get to round two. And I said, if you can write about your faith and what you believe – and the poetry slam crowd lets you get to the, the last round or maybe even wins and gives you that Jolly Rancher or that Twinkie or the 50 bucks or whatever the prize is that night, um, then you know you've, you've figured out how to write for this audience and you can confidently say that you're effective in this mission of uh, our Sacrificial Poet Project, which is to promote faith conversations through the art of spoken word poetry. We're really interested in the conversation. So if you're in there and you're just doing like a drive-by poetry shootout, you know, and, and then you leave or, or you're going in and declaring from on high God's ultimate truth to a bunch of heathens that don't, you know, that's ridiculous. Yeah. First of all, you have, you've, you've uh, insulted them because then pe a lot of people will do that and then they walk out and they don't even listen to the other poets. It's, it's unbelievable how badly that can go. But when you engage and you make friends and you, and you learn from these poets, there's a conversation that ensues through the poetry, on the side, in person, in relationships. And it's just, it's wonderful. It's honest and open. Do you consider this in any way a form of evangelism? Well, I guess you could say without question that might result. Because the gospel, as the Christian church understands the gospel, it's the good news. And I consider it very good news, and sometimes people hear it, and they also consider it very good news, and it, and it revolutionizes their life. And so in that sense, the gospel is always evangelistic. And though I may not be preaching, um, and I'm just sharing what I believe, the hope I have, where I put my hope, and why, then that comes through, and it, and it affects people. But, of course, the other people's poetry is affecting me. Yeah. And it's affecting the other people, too. So it's a, it's a constant give and take. Christians often will categorize me as evangelical because, or this as an evangelical endeavor yeah. because it's the gospel in a place that doesn't really care about the gospel. And I suppose by that definition it is. But I don't even think about it that way. I don't approach it in that manner. And I don't always write about Christian 
teams. You're, you're writing about things that are important to you. Yeah. And your faith is important to you, so naturally that comes out. Right. And every poet is going to write about things that they feel deeply, what hurts them, what what makes them happy, what is beautiful, what they love. I mean, that's what poets write. That's what makes poets. Yeah. And so uh, I, I can't write about anything else, you know, except those things that I'm interested in. I, I think it becomes very apparent very quickly if you as an artist try to manufacture something that's not inherent to you. Yeah, well, it, it becomes apparent to everybody but you probably uh, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until you vet it a little bit further. Well, tell me what, what it's like. You know, you, you talk about the audience being very gracious. Oh, yeah. How authentic is their uh, response to you in terms of feedback? You know, you, you're you up there. I mean, they clap, they snap their fingers, but if you're engaging with somebody after the fact. Oh, I get I get all kinds. I, uh one one of the MCs, I mean, it goes to both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. One, one time, the the MC of the night came up to me and he goes, "I had done a particularly uh, uh, vivid Jesus poem," and he came up to me afterwards and he said, "Hey, Phil, this is our church. Don't f it up." I can't think of in the fifty some years I've been on the earth too many more honest, open, inclusive environments that you could go into and say whatever you want. And so even somebody that bombs terribly is appreciated and encouraged. Well, I, when I'm around people who think I'm amazing, I, I don't dismiss their opinion, but they, they lose a little bit of credibility with me in that I know they don't know who the really amazing people are if they're talk, calling me amazing because I've heard them, you know. And so yeah. uh, I take that with a grain of salt. Uh, but, you know, this goes back to what I said before, that that's why we want to work with poets who are in that environment and who are a part of it for the purpose of becoming better poets. There's a certain la laziness of language that infects the Christian yeah. art scene. That um, a friend of mine uh, made a comment once that yeah. uh, I think is really captures it because we were listening to some poetry by a Christian at an open mic, and he says that sounds like something a Christian, one Christian would say to another Christian when he's imagining that he's talking to a non-Christian. And I thought, wow, that pretty well sums it up. Yeah. Because we do that, and we don't even know we're doing it. And so the, the only way around it is to be in that culture and hear what they have to say. And then you know that it works. And then, of course, if you're, if you're a Christian like I am, and you happen to be talking about your faith, and it's authenticated by this crowd that, or validated by this crowd that doesn't share it, then you know without a doubt you can go back to your own faith community, and they'll hear that and it came through somehow, and there'll be an appreciation for it. And I've, in fact, found that's true. I find Christians are um, astonished by the, the way that the gospel is presented by spoken word artists who are largely in the secular scene. There is plenty of space to write entirely for the Christian culture and, and write beautiful, magnificent music and language for that culture that's within that culture. So I think it depends on what your ambitions are and your targets and your goals are. Because I can listen to spoken word and I go, that is a magnificent poem. So I don't want to throw that criticism out there as if the only way to write good poetry or good lyrics is to get outside of the subculture. But if you want to affect anybody outside of the subculture, you certainly must be familiar with that and have the language to do it. You know, I'm, I'm always looking for exceptions to the rule, but uh, I said that you can produce beautiful art for the subculture. That's true. But if that's all you do the youth that are listening to this music and and are being influenced and and growing and forming their minds and their ideas from the music that they listen to all day long i don't remember who who the uh 
author was it or the leader was that said this, but if you want to influence a nation, you go ahead and write the laws and let me write the songs because eventually the songs are going to influence the laws. And you have to take some responsibility for that as an artist. And if you're a Christian artist who's happy in the subculture, uh, just recognize that you're, you're not really helping those kids communicate beyond the subculture. Yeah. And so, I mean, not everybody needs to do that. There's a calling in, in other areas there, but it, you can't think that's the only thing that needs to be done. So let, let's talk about let's talk about your project. So um, you, it's the um, let me the sacrificial poet project. Right. So the first thing I'm going to ask, I already know the answer, but I think it's entertaining anyway. What is a sacrificial poet? We named our nonprofit the Sacrificial Poet Project after um, a common thing that happens in poetry slams every time there's a poetry slam at least all the ones I've been to. Yeah. You know, they'll pick the audience out of the crowd, and they'll pick five people, and it'll be a lot like the Olympics. You know, they'll say, score the poem from one to ten, and, and then they, that's how they score the poetry. But after they've explained that to the judges and the audience, they say, okay, before we begin the slam tonight, we need to have blood spilled on the stage. So we're going to invite up a sacrificial poet to perform a poem and to uh, calibrate the judges for the night and so I just kind of lifted that sacrificial poet thing because I thought you know God is a poet well if God's a poet I know who the sacrificial poet is that's an easy one so what so the vision behind that is to provide a um to create a community then of yeah I think uh you know all these poets are in their diverse spoken word communities around the country um and a lot of times they're maybe one of a handful if maybe not even the only Christian poet who um, performs and writes at the levels that they've achieved. And so if they're on a team, they're traveling with other people who don't particularly share their faith, yeah. but they share yeah. their art. And so they have these friendships and everything. But there's a sense of community and growth and learning and, and camaraderie when people do share more than just your art. And I, I think there's a hunger for that. But I, I want to connect these poets because I think that some really incredible things will come of it. I have traveled a lot because I'm an airline pilot. It's an unusual situation for a brand new spoken word artist to be able to go one week to a slam in New York, the next week in LA. So I recognized that I had a pretty unique opportunity to view this. And what I found is everywhere you go, there's a certain flavor that develops. And themes and subject matter and styles sort of congregate around the most successful poet in that region. But I hear all the variety, and I think, wow, what if I could get all these poets who are Christians, who are brilliant, who are having a great time and, and having a part of this scene, get them together and listen to each other and, and write poetry together and maybe team up on some pieces. I have some ideas for um, some poetry, not events, but productions that could happen with um, Christian and non-Christian poets working together on themes that are incredibly controversial. And I, I would love to make some of that happen later. But anyway, connecting these poets for camaraderie, for growth and influence. And then also through the nonprofit, we're providing a way that the poet's own faith community can step in and we can help identify them as somebody who is talented, gifted, and active and say, hey, what do you think about maybe supporting this person on a part-time basis in their art to just do what they're doing so that they can find time to do it better. And you, A three-minute poem sounds effortless, but I mean, I've spent 20 hours on a three-minute poem, yeah. you know, from writing it to refining it to, to practicing it and getting it to the point where you'd even dare to step up in front of a mic and do it. And so it takes a lot of time. 
And plus, uh, it takes some money to travel and get beyond your regular poetry slam. And, and even the local ones, they have cover charges, and you got to pay gas. And a lot of these poets aren't making a lot of money on their poetry. So, yeah. uh, so we want to provide this opportunity for the people who know them and appreciate their work to step in and say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to sign up for ten bucks a month and just help paying your cover charges and your gas and buy you some pencils or, you know, maybe a new computer or something and help you do this thing." These are these are really high quality artists who are out there doing this, with or without your help. And I just think it's a travesty that the, the faith community that they come out of is first unaware in a lot, a lot of cases and, and not saying, wow, look at this person who's doing this beautiful stuff. We should get behind them and, and help them do it better. And even if it's only a year or two or three that they're pushed deeper into culture with their art to, to grow and learn and, and create, um, their art will be there long after they move on to the next thing. Yeah. on YouTube and in poetry books and, and the, the influence and the ripples of their art through the culture that they've been a part of go on indefinitely. And so, the, so your project is community, it's some validation, and it's a, it's a platform. You, you know, there's a lot of mechanics of being an artist in the marketplace that some of the younger poets have no idea. Yeah. And so learning how to self-publish, learning how to find the videos and get them done right and and to collaborate with other poets and what are the new ideas you know I'm working on a play now that's with spoken word I've seen some other stuff like that and that's kind of a new area that spoken word poetry is now moving into the theater and uh, it's powerful so 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 you mentioned the show so tell me um, that's coming up next month and right yes. now we're, we're in February for the mm-hmm. sake of context if anybody's listening okay <laughs> so tell me about it the show is called liar lunatic and it's uh, kind of a schizophrenic cast of characters. It's all me. And I won't judge you on every, schizophrenia. Yeah. <laughs> every word of it is from poetry that I've done at slams all over the country. What happened was I, I have performed on college campuses working with another organization. And one of the executives in that organization said, Hey, how would you like to meet with an acting coach, professional, director, producer, and maybe get some ideas about your performance? <laughs> I think. That's a great idea because I feel like an idiot up there waving my hands around and yelling at the top of my lungs. And so this guy shows up and in the corporate offices, and we went through a few pieces, and he says, sit down, I want to talk to you. He says, I have been looking for something like this for four or five years. Would you be interested in working with me and producing a theatrical piece for an off-Broadway run sometime? I said, sure, that sounds great. What did I just say yes to? I have no <laughs> idea. Uh, so we talked about it, and this summer I got together with a guy, J.J. Rusella. He's the director of modern acting at the uh, uh, Shenandoah Conservatory in, in Virginia. Went down there, rented a theater, got some people, a sound guy from Disney, and some help with um, lights from FX Design. And we put together this show, and we uh, worked on it for a couple of weeks, and I learned some acting and got a stage set, and, and we... Um, tested it with some audiences and it had really really good feedback and it wasn't christian audiences yeah. although a lot of the poetry is about my faith uh quest i guess you'd say and i don't want to give away the play but it's sort of a story of you know what can you believe anyway and what what is not believable and why and so it's a very interesting and provocative uh journey and it's you know you're listening to a college professor and then a bum and then a guy who wants to hang himself and then a you know a televangelist uh, just making everybody in the audience angry and you know just all kinds of stuff and it's very fun and uh, thought-provoking and so that kind of percolated through the fall 
with a lot of busyness, and I just decided, you know, I need to do this. So we rented a theater, a little black box theater in Portland. We're going to the Headwaters in March, um, weekend of the 14th, and then the following weekend. So two weekends before Easter, uh, middle and late March. And um, we're going to put it up and see what happens. Nobody that goes to the play will be disappointed. Most will have their minds wrecked. It, it is really fun. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. In fact, probably there will be a few Christians that um, have never heard anything like this and really won't know what to do with it. And <laughs> the non-Christians, I, I had some comments in Florida. They said, you know, I don't believe anything you believe, and I probably never will. But that was a lot of fun. And I enjoyed the conversation. And wow, what a great story. I think a lot of us really appreciate a respectful, intelligent conversation, even if it's with somebody that is on an opposite side of a conversation that we're having. Well, you know, you remember back before cell phones when people would, the, the, the first guy with a cell phone is walking down the street talking to himself and you don't realize he's got a phone because it's on the other side of his head and you think, oh, this guy's, you know, yeah. he's got Tourette's or something. There's a curiosity that it stimulates and some surprises in how uh, the conversations go. And frankly, it doesn't all make sense. You know, it's poetry for crying out loud. Some of it's there to say something meaningful. Some of it's there to trigger a reaction. To just be provocative. And, and yeah, and some of it's just visceral and emotional. You're like, you can't use those two words together. That just made me feel terrible. Or that made, that, what a wonderful thought. You know, my head tumbled. So, so with your art, you're creating, uh, with word art and, and ideas, you're creating uh, agreement. You're creating, you're triggering emotion. You're creating cognitive dissonance that has to then be dealt with and resolved. Yeah. Or maybe you're trying to leave it unresolved so people walk away with a, you know, with a stone in their shoe. And, yeah. uh, but for poetry, I think rel relative to other art, um, and Robert Pinsky, I think, addressed this in a book. He was a uh, poet laureate. Um, he wrote a book, I think the title is The Sound of Poetry. And one of the things he said that's always stuck with me is, you know, when you're a painter, your art is your painting. And of course you want your painting to affect the audience, but your art is the painting. Mm -hmm. Same with a sculptor, music, your art is the sound that you make. And yes, you want it to affect people. But when you're a poet, where is the art? You know, the art that a poet makes isn't necessarily the words. The art is what happens inside of you when you read the words. So my art is, for lack of better words, it's, it's, the, its effect on the human soul is my art. And it happens every time you read it or you hear it. And so in that way, I think poetry is a little bit unique because you're actually creating the art within a person out of their reactions. And so that's, that's why you can't create good lyrics and poetry for somebody you don't know. You don't know how they think. You don't know the language they use. Um, how in the world you don't even know what the, the palette is that you paint with. And so I think that's important. Uh, yeah, I think I guess what you're saying is otherwise you're imposing your, your own personal experience on somebody without having taken the time or demonstrated the respect for who they are yeah. to have that. To, to begin that conversation. Yeah, I mean, you might be painting in colors and the dog only sees in black and white, and so yeah. what's the point, you know? So we were exchanging emails a little bit as we were getting things set up, and you mm -hmm. sent me something that really, I thought it was really interesting the way you phrased it and I, something I feel like I can stand behind. So let me just read it. Mm -hmm. okay, what if the local church noticed and decided to support these brilliant artists in order to drive them deeper into the arts culture with their fluent message of hope through Jesus Christ, rather than steal them away for the in-house rock and roll Jesus show. Tell me more about where you're going with that. I have seen a lot of spoken word artists who are, who are very talented, who are now um, 
being popularized within a certain segment of the Christian subculture. Mm -hmm. And so their poetry is all gravitating towards teaching theology or encouraging or, or, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to diminish what they're doing, but it's, it's not targeted beyond the Christian subculture. And so I'm specifically interested in poets who are writing and performing for an audience that is not Christian. And there's several reasons, but one of the big reasons is I think they're going to write better poetry. And I think that one thing we don't do very well in this country is communicate across those battle lines. You know, the trenches are dug and everybody's kind of hunkered down and, you know, looking for somebody to raise their head so they can get a pot shot in. And I I see these poets who are right in the midst of all of this and and, uh, they're, they're brilliant and they're talented and they're doing what the church wishes it could do on its favorite day sometimes you know and they're and they're doing it because god has given them this ability and they've taken it and run with it with their whole hearts i mean they identify as a poet and so for the church to to just look around and go oh my goodness we have these incredibly artful articulate people with friendships and engagement there i think the church could be influenced in how they communicate their ideas and their faith with people who don't share them. I have one poet in Chicago who has a lot of non-believing poetry friends, mostly non-believing yeah. poetry friends, and they say they know that he's a Christian and they know he speaks at Christian conferences and stuff, and they say, hey, when you go to your Christian conference, you're our missionary from the other side. Yeah. So help these people learn because they're kind of clueless. That's what they tell him. I'm not making, no, making this no, I, up. And I, I, I don't disagree either. And, yeah, and so I, I think that's what's going on, and I'd like to I'd like to help facilitate the recognition and the funding, provide an avenue to fund that. And if if a church or if in, an individual sees one of these poets' videos on our website, sacrificialpoetproject.org, we have a we have a really short one, Propane Poets. Uh, one of our poets wrote a poem called Propane Poet. It's be- beautiful. It captures just what we are. So if you go to propanepoets.org too. Um, but uh, if they see those poems on our website and they say, oh, you know, I'd like to support that guy, then just, you know, type in your card, sign up for 5 bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, $1,000 a month. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Uh, help the organization. We're just we're granting art stipends. They don't work for us. We're not going to influence them. We're, they're not going to sign with us. We are just saying, here you go. There's a, a guarantee for a year, a monthly stipend. Go do what you do however you do it. And it's on the basis of their success and their art and their focus and the fact that they are participating in the mission that we've stated, promoting faith conversations through the art of spoken word poetry. And our backside hope of this is that their influence can be both in the culture and the culture will influence them and their art, but also then the product will influence the Christian culture with some understanding of of different ways, new ways to share their faith. Maybe you'll have some great Christian musicians and lyricists who don't have to involve themselves in the uh, spoken word culture. They can just listen to our poets and learn how to write good stuff. Yeah, okay, so find a sacrificial poet, line up behind them, send them an email, tell them how great they are, and thank them for what they do, and go to a poetry slam. It'll change your life. And I realize that there are still some people who are very mad about Jesus. But if you ask me, it doesn't add up. I mean, I'm not that good at math, and I don't understand the Holy Trinity, but I took trigonometry three times before I could admit there was anything I would never understand completely. Like, how could you be so mad at a myth? 
No one holds grudges against Santa and the Tooth Fairy. Or mythical beings like Thor and Zeus. When it comes to personal insult and injury, fictional hallucinations are never abused. But there's something about Jesus to invite your derision. And there's something about Jesus to force a decision. And you may blame religion or, or someone you know, but 2,000 years is enough time to consider his quid pro quo. So somewhere between the babbling baby in the manger and the bloody lamb on the cross, he must have made you crazy. And that was a quick sample of Phil Long's work. That was great, Joe. Great interview and a lot of um, new information for me. Um, I have a lot to take in. I might actually have to listen to it again uh, to really understand what that whole subculture thing is about. Yeah, there's definitely a lot that we're missing. If you get wrapped up in the more mainstream music, movies, and books of Christian art, you're missing you're missing a lot. Probably my biggest takeaway from the conversation with Phil was how gracious uh, and generous the secular community has been to him to come in and share his faith through poetry in these poetry slams. It's just remarkable how uh, inclusive they have been to him and to the other poets uh, as part of his Sacrificial Poet Project. It's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and, and I like his concept of the nonprofit as a launcher. I think that's a great thing. Uh, he obviously, he has a day job. This isn't like he's trying to make money off this thing. He's just trying to get other people out there because there's not enough people doing this or having having the uh, the weight behind them to push them forward. I think that's great. Yeah. So what's coming up, Dan? What do we have that should be on the website or otherwise on the podcast? Yeah, we have a lot of cool artists coming up for uh, interviews. We, we're going to have comedians, um, authors, singers, songwriters. And these are artists that may have been around for a while, but you may have just not heard of them because they haven't had the chance to break into the U.S. scene, for example, or vice versa. Well, we've, we do have a uh, written interview coming down the pike with a gentleman named Nate White, a singer-songwriter out of Virginia who's partnering with Living Bread Ministries to produce an album. That'll be coming out in the next couple of days. Yeah, and there is new music coming out, out as well that we'll be reviewing, uh, I think, uh, Audio Adrenaline and uh, Josh Wilson, as well as some Canadian artists and um, a band, um, which is a husband-wife duo called Bridge Music. And, uh, you know, watch watch the website, and uh, we will have that coming as we can write them. Yeah, and make sure to contact us on the website at Frequency.fm. We're also on Twitter at FrequencyFM, Facebook at facebook.com slash frequency fm and you can also email us at frequency dot at gmail.com thanks for listening
Unicorns Econ.